Well, there's a good fight and there's a bad fight. You can get involved in a good one. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. But how many of you know there's a bad one too? Uh, some of you had a bad fight this week. Don't raise your hands. Uh, but we're living in a culture of conflict. We're living in a culture of hostility. We're living in a culture that is very angry. And God doesn't want us walking in that as the people of God. Nope. He wants us walking in peace. Now, today I'm going to speak to you for the third time on the subject of killing conflict. And I'm going to title this today, Satan's Favorite Trick. Satan's Favorite Trick. How many of you know that we are in a spiritual fight? That is every day, no doubt about it, you're going to fight a spiritual fight if you're a believer every single day. So we want to learn Satan's tactics. We want to know how he attacks God's people. He doesn't want you in conflict in your home. He doesn't want you in conflict in your marriage. He doesn't want you in conflict at work. He doesn't want you in conflict uh, with anyone in a fleshly way. So I'm going to read now 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. And uh, Paul is going to describe for us Satan's favorite trick. I'm going to go into it after we read these verses. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 10. Now Paul says, Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Now look at verse 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, his tactics, his schemes. We're not ignorant of what he uses to get at us. We're not ignorant of it. But I would suggest today that a lot of Christians are. And he's able to take you off guard. So I promise you when you leave today, you're not going to be ignorant of his favorite trick with you and with me. So let's pray together. Father, we just thank you today for the word of God. And we pray you will bless it, minister it to our hearts. We thank you for your presence in this house. Lord, feed us, teach us, arm us for the battle. And thank you for victory in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them God's going to help you today. Amen. Well, we have been talking about killing conflict, and this is the third message. And one thing that we must do to avoid conflict is what I'm going to be talking to you about today. Now, the context of the verses we just read is Paul is instructing the Corinthian church on forgiving a man that brought great offense to the church by a terribly immoral act. And in doing so, he reveals one of the great reasons to forgive. Now, I want you to listen to the verse again. He said, lest Satan should get an advantage over us, uh, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, this is wrestling terminology. And the idea is, lest Satan get an advantage over us, lest he take us to the mat and hold us in a successful grip that we would lose the battle. The word advantage means to be outmaneuvered, outsmarted, uh, or to be cheated. So he's telling us here, 
He said, I want you to forgive, lest the devil outsmarts you, gets an advantage over you, and cheats you of your reward. Now, he uses another word. He said, uh, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, words matter in the Bible. They matter, matter big time. And this word, devices, means well-thought-out schemes, carefully planned strategies. We can say that Satan's got a war room, and I can just picture him around a table with the demons with him, and, and, and on the table are his strategies and his plots and his schemes in overthrowing people who are successful in God, who are reaching people for Christ, who are bearing fruit, churches that are doing some good in the name of Jesus, uh, Christian homes. He, he, he sits in the war room surrounded by demon hordes and hatches schemes. The idea of, of, of devices means he's thinking about it. He, he's planning. He's plotting. He is preemptive. He is strategic. Now, I'm not here to lift up the devil, but I do want to expose him for who and what he really is and what he does. He doesn't just get up every morning. Of course, he doesn't get up every morning. He's always around, but I'm drawing a little parallel here. But he doesn't get up in the morning and grab a shotgun and just go out and start shooting, hoping to hit something. No, no, no. No, he has, he has rifles with scopes, with crosshairs, and he strategically thinks and plots and schemes to attack you and me in a way that just might work if we don't understand his devices. That's how serious spiritual warfare is. We need to take it seriously because I'm going to tell you the devil takes it seriously. And Jesus Christ took it real seriously. So we, we have to understand we've got an enemy who, who does for sure have us in the crosshairs. But that's all right because so does God. The eye of the Lord is upon the righteous, the Bible says. And he, he is with us at all times. And he is abundantly available to help us in the hour of need. And that's all true. But we need to understand that when we wake up in the morning, we've got an enemy. And the enemy is strategizing, scheming, plotting, using devices to try to get at us. How can I upset their home? How can I upset their church? How can I attack their marriage? How can I... Uh, approach them in a way that will successfully tempt them. How, how can I do it? And, and that's the way the enemy operates. This is why Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer. He said, lead me not into temptation. This is the last line in the Lord's Prayer before you break into prayer or praise again, for yours is the kingdom, power, and glory forever. But right before that, the final verse is, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me now, your Bible might say evil, but the Greek language, it says the evil one. Deliver me from the evil one. I could expand on that. Deliver me from the evil one's devices, his schemes, his plots, his strategies against me, my home, my marriage, my church. Deliver me. And, and I pray this almost virtually every day. I pray it. I pray through the Lord's Prayer, and I end it with that because I know that that day I'm going to be in a battle, and that day I need God's deliverance from the enemy's schemes. Amen. Amen. By the way, the, the Lord's Prayer intimates that we ought to pray it every day because it says, give us this day 
our daily bread. So we're daily depending on the Lord to come through for us uh, in provision and to come through for us in protection against the enemy and his schemes. Now the Apostle Paul had years of experience in battling Satan in spiritual warfare. He knew exactly how real it was. He writes of being buffeted by a messenger of Satan in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7. Of being hindered by the devil two distinct times when trying to reach uh, particular churches to bring them a gift and a blessing, 1 Thessalonians 2.18. And he talks of wrestling, not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness in this world and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. And you know where that's found. That's Ephesians 6, verse 12. So he's a seasoned veteran of spiritual warfare. And Paul says, we are not at this point in the game ignorant of Satan's devices. And so he doesn't want us to be ignorant either. So what can we learn from Paul's words? Here's what we can learn. It's a scheme and strategy of Satan to tempt believers to not forgive. It's a scheme and a strategy of Satan to tempt believers not to forgive. It it, it is his favorite trick. It's his favorite trick. Satan knows that when a believer refuses to forgive somebody, it opens the door for the devil to, to cheat and outsmart us and gives him the upper hand in spiritual warfare. Amen. How many of you want to maintain the upper hand and not let the devil get the upper hand? So let me tell you what it's saying here. He, he's, he, let's catch it now because this matters because all of us deal with this. He said, listen, it's the, it's the devil's device. It's his tactic. It's his favorite trick to convince you and I that we don't need to forgive somebody, that we need to remain in unforgiveness and walk with a grudge or a chip on our shoulder. And he says, listen, I have learned through years, I'm battle-worn, I have fought the devil for years, and I'm telling you, it's one of his devices. He said, I forgave this man, and I told you to forgive this man, lest Satan outsmart us and cheat us and get the upper hand. Now, the way he so often succeeds at this is through an offense. Everybody say offense. Offenses, 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 offenses. Jesus warned about the danger posed by offenses. He said it's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. In other words, offenses are inescapable in this world. If you're a human being and you live on planet Earth, you're going to deal with offenses. Jesus said it's impossible. There's no way offenses are not going to come to your doorstep and mine. There's no way we're not going to be dealing with an offense. No way. It's impossible. If you're a Christian, you're going to deal with an offense. It'll happen in church. It'll happen at home. It'll happen at work. It'll happen with your next door neighbor. It'll happen in your marriage. You will deal with offenses. How many of you can say amen? I know that's right. Now, the word offense is really interesting in the original language, in the Greek language it was written in, because it's the the Greek word scandalon, scandalon. And from scandalon, we get the word scandal. That's where we get the word. That's scandalon. We get scandal from that. I like to say if you've been offended, you've got a scandal going on inside of you. 
And, and the word is what people that spoke Greek would use to refer to a trap and the trigger of the trap. Let's say I've got a mouse trap right here. I thought about bringing one, but I thought, sure enough, it would snap on my finger and I'd ruin the... So I didn't bring it. But I want you to picture a mouse trap. All right? It's, it's pulled back. The cheese is on that little trigger. Now, here, here's the idea of Scandalon. Scandalon, the, being offended, is the, the offense is the trigger. It, the offense is the trigger. And if you don't deal with the offense, it triggers the trap. And it comes down on your head. That's the idea of Scandalon. You, 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 somebody says something, does something, hurts you, offends you. And if, if you do not, and I'm going to go into this more uh, in the message, but if, if we do not quickly forgive, the trap is sprung. And now we were free, but we're not. We were going where we wanted, but now we can't. We were going in the right direction, but now we can't really move well because we're trapped by a scandal on. There's a scandal going on. If you bite the bait of unforgiveness brought on by an offense, it springs the trap. Oh, it's so real. I've seen so many people get trapped by an offense. I have been trapped by offenses. And oh, it's so hard to get out of them once they get you. Once you're angry and you're not forgiving and you're developing a grudge, it's so easy for that thing to ensnare you and for the devil to convince you that it's the right thing to do because after all, they don't deserve to be forgiven. Uh, they don't deserve to be forgiven, and I'm not going to be the first one to forgive. If they come to me first, then I'll forgive, and until then, I'm not going to forgive. Or I'm going to punish them by not forgiving them, and we don't realize the one really being punished is ourselves. But the devil will use many different things to convince us to, to not forgive, and the, the trap is sprung. Now, we're all about the offense and not Jesus. Scandalon also refers to a stumbling block. Like you're walking down a path and you don't see a rock sticking up out of the ground and you're walking along not looking real well where you're going and you trip over that rock and you fall on your face and you skin your knee. That's the idea of a scandal on. You don't see it coming. You, you don't, you're not aware of it. It catches you off guard. And, and suddenly you're trapped in bitterness or, or, or you, you trip and you, and you fall in your walk with Christ. That's the idea of a scandal on. You're offended. It makes you trip. It makes you fall. You lose your equilibrium spiritually. You lose your footing. An offense can refer to, to different scenarios. An offense can refer to when somebody places a temptation in front of you and you stumble and fall. Somebody tempts you to sin and you stumble and fall. You have been scandalized. You have been scandaloned. There's a scandal going on. You were successfully, somebody put a stumbling block in front of you and you stumbled. This is why Jesus said, woe to those by whom the offenses, temptations to sin come. Because if you or I make somebody sin, then we have sinned before God. And we live in a world that is driven by lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. We live in a world that the lust of the eyes, there are a million and one traps out there. Uh, people placing temptation in front of you to make you stumble and fall. Internet pornography. 
There, I, I, I can't imagine the judgment that is going to come upon the producers of that trash because they're placing a stumbling block in front of millions of people. And Jesus said, woe to you by whom the offenses come. Because they're going to face a fierce judgment because not only did they live in sin, but they caused others to sin. They, they put that stumbling block in front of others. Alcohol, drugs, anybody that comes to you with any kind of temptation that you know is a sin, that person, that person is putting before you an offense, a stumbling block. And if, and if you fall, then they are partly responsible in the eyes of God. But an offense also refers to when we are hurt by something that someone says or does. We're hurt. We're hurt. That's what an offense is. It can be a moment of betrayal, and you're hurt. Somebody betrayed you. You can't believe it. You're reeling from the fact that somebody you trusted, somebody you thought you could lean on, somebody that you believed in has, has betrayed you. Or, or somebody has spoken a harsh word to you of criticism, and it has hurt you. Uh, and, and immediately when we're offended with a hurt, we're also generally angry. We're confused and we're hurt. We, we want to weep, but at the same time we're angry. That, that's the onset of an offense. Or how about a stinging rejection? Somebody rejects you and it stings and it hurts. Uh, somebody whose opinion you care about and they, they reject you. And at that moment of inner wounding and hurt, here's the idea of an offense. We trip. We trip. We lose our, our, our spiritual equilibrium. It knocks us off guard. Suddenly, we're walking with Jesus. Everything is good. Hallelujah. Kumbaya. And all of a sudden, we're hurt. We trip over that rock in the ground or, or that mousetrap is sprung on us. And, and, and all of a sudden, we're reeling and we're knocked off balance and we got to deal with it. It broadsides us. I didn't see it coming. It's a punch out of the blue. Some of you were offended this week. Some of you are sitting in here offended now. And you're just not sure whether or not you're going to forgive that rat. <laughs> or those rats, plural. And you can be sure that at the moment of that hurt, listen to me, at the moment of that hurt, Satan is lurking in the shadows ready to pounce. You need to understand that. Satan doesn't fight fair. Are you kidding me? Do you think Satan fights fair? No. Satan is a nasty, dirty, low-down, no-character, devil, monster, sickening fighter. He hits you in your weakest point. He doesn't care what it does to you. He wants it to take you down. So he will strike you where the striking is most likely to cause you to trip. He's lurking in the shadows when you get hurt, when you get offended. He's right there. Now, what does it say about him? 1 Peter 5, 8. Be careful. Watch out for attacks from Satan, your great enemy. He prowls around like a hungry, roaring lion looking for some victim to tear apart. Notice the Bible through St. Peter uh, tells us that Satan is a predator. 
He's a predator. He's predatory. He moves through the churches. He moves through Christian homes. He's always lurking in the shadows, behind the bushes, always looking for a chance to pounce and strike. And it's an offense he uses most effectively. It's his favorite trick. To tempt you to handle the offense unbiblically by refusing to forgive, or at least giving it some time. You'll forgive someday, but you don't have to do it now. Just sit on it. As soon as you hear that, you're hearing the devil. Now, follow with me. Track with me. This is how he cheats you. This is how he gets an advantage in spiritual warfare. Because he knows that if we don't forgive, a door is open to hell. You can bank on it. An offense left to fester puts a negative cause and effect relationship into motion immediately. Now, let me, let me just describe to you how it unfolds. Here's the way the whole thing goes down. You get offended. There you are doing great. You're going to church. You're teaching a Bible study. You're in prayer all the time. Think God is blessing here, there, and everywhere. You're doing wonderful. And wham, here comes an offense, a hurt, a wound, a pain, a betrayal, a rejection, a criticism, a surprise attack out of the blue, lightning out of a blue sky. Here it is. And you're struck with an offense. You're reeling you're struggling. Your mind is on fire with emotions. You can't believe what has happened. How could they? How could he? How could she? And then rather than quickly forgiving, which is what I'm going to teach us to do today, quickly forgiving, the first thing we do is we nurse it. Everybody say nurse it. Now when I say you nurse it, what I mean is you coddle the offense. You pamper the offense. You throw a pity party and invite people to come. I want everybody that can, that can come to come because I've got to, I've got to just pour out and, and, and dump what, what has happened to me. And, and we throw a pity party. If nobody comes, we have one on our own. Have you ever noticed that God the Father doesn't show up for pity parties? Now, we're nursing it. We're, nur- we're coddling it. We're, we're not dealing with it. We're coddling it. We're letting it sit there for a while. It's a glowing ember. It's, it's like a glowing ember in your soul, and, and we're letting it sit there instead of extinguishing it. We're letting it sit there and burn instead of extinguishing it. And, and Jesus taught, never give an offense longer than a 24-hour shelf life. Did you know that? One day, Simon Peter, who apparently was really having a problem with somebody, I mean, something major was going on, because he said, Lord, when someone won't stop doing wrong to me, how many of you can say, there's somebody in my life, won't stop, come on, don't look at me so holy, and don't, don't do this to your spouse next to you, just, just amen me. But watch this now. Peter said, Lord, when somebody won't stop doing wrong to me, How many times do I have to forgive them? And he said seven times like that was a bunch. Seven times? Maybe it had reached the seventh time with Peter and whoever he was in conflict with. But Jesus answered, no, not seven times, Peter, but 70 times seven. Do your math. That's 490 times in a day. 490 times. Jesus said, 
In other words, here's the idea. Jesus would often use exaggeration to make a point. He would embellish to make a point. And he's embellishing here. I mean, there's not, you know, who's going to cause you to have to forgive 490 times in a day? If, if that's you, I want to meet you after church that you're even alive still. But here, here's the deal. Um, he, he's embellishing to make a point. And, and the point is, as often as you need to, do it. As often as you need to, do it. Paul the Apostle said, let not the sun set on your anger. That's a 24-hour shelf life. Let not the sun set on your anger. This is why I pray the Lord's Prayer most every morning. Because watch this, it covers everything. Um, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life today. May your will be done in my life. First verse. Second, give us this day our daily bread. Provision. Third verse. Forgive me my trespasses. I forgive those that trespass against me. See, if I pray that every day, I can't get more than 24 hours away from forgiveness. Because Jesus said, pray, forgive me my trespasses as I today forgive those who trespass against me. And I believe the Lord's prayer was intended to be a daily prayer, not ritual. I'm not talking about just, you know, rehearsing by rote some ritualistic prayer that doesn't mean anything to you. But it means something to me because everything in it has to do with life that day. And so I can't get further than 24 hours from an offense without forgiveness because Jesus said, pray this way. Forgive me my debts as I forgive, as I forgive my debtors. So that way the sun can't set on an offense. Uh, I, I can't get 24 hours beyond an offense. So we're to give an offense a short shelf life. Not weeks, not months, not years, but short. Don't let the sun set on that anger. Why? Because if you nurse it, you're going to rehearse it. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. The longer you sit on it, all right, I'll forgive them someday. I'll forgive them when they come to me. I'll forgive them when I feel like it. You and I are never going to feel like it. All right? But, but, but you nurse it, you leave it there, it's burning in your soul, but now you begin to rehearse it and the devil will see to it. Because the more you sit on it, the more you're going to play the hurtful event over and over again in the theater of your mind on a continual loop. Do you know that the devil will put an offense uh, on a continual rewind loop in your head? Yeah, boy, it's quiet in here today. See, here's the loop. We're thinking about it, thinking about it. Instead of thinking about Jesus, thinking about God, thinking about the word of God, thinking about the will of God, we're thinking about that offense over and over and over. Anger, thoughts of vengeance, emotions are churning and growing. Now, this offense is center stage in our life, not Jesus. And at this point, if you've nursed it, left it there, and, and you're rehearsing it, that's when we can pretty safely say we've let the devil in the door because the devil wants you to rehearse it. Oh, he wants you to rehearse it. He's more than happy to put those events surrounding your hurt on a continual loop. What they did, what they said, how terrible they are, how dare they, how could they, over and over. And every time you rehearse it, it gets worse and worse and worse and he wants to keep you agitated, stewing, fretting, thinking about what happened. Yeah, that's right. 
I think I'm ministering because <laughs> it's so quiet in here. See, what did Paul say? We're not ignorant. We're not ignorant of his tactics, his schemes, his plots, the way he operates. We're not ignorant of it. But when we get offended, we forget all everything we learned. We say, well, I deserve to be offended because of what they said, what they did, how terrible they are, how dare they, and off we go again. And we don't realize the devil is setting us up. So... The Bible warns this. If you nurse and rehearse it, you're nursing it. It's there. It's burning in your soul. Now you're rehearsing it. The scenario in which it took place over and over again. And and what you don't know, what we're often not aware of, is that when you do that, when you're in the rehearse it stage, then then the the devil's intent is for a root to go down into your soul. It's called the root of bitterness. I want you to listen to the Bible, Hebrews 12, 15. Look after each other. So that not one of you will fail to respond to God's grace. Now what he's doing is he's setting us up uh, to let us know that when we're offended, as I said, the devil is right there to pounce. But guess what? God is right there to send grace. Are you with me? The devil's ready to pounce and, and get you going into nursing it and rehearsing it. But God is there with grace that you and I can fail to respond to if we're not careful. And what's the grace there for? To help us to forgive. That's what it's there for. So when you and I are offended, there's two entities watching the offense. The devil, who wants to take us down, nursing it and rehearsing it. And I'll show you where he wants it to further go in just a moment. But here's God at the same time saying, I'm gracing you. I'm giving my grace to you. I'm extending my grace to you. What is grace? Grace gives me the power to do what I can't do on my own. Grace gives me the power to do the will of God. And it is, it is God that works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So you got the devil wanting to take you one way. You got God wanting to take you another way. God wants us to do the Barney Fife thing that I talked about last week. Nip it in the bud before the root goes down. Because look what he says, watch out that no bitterness takes root among you for as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. Another version says defiling many, which means polluting many. Now now track with me. He says here, The root that goes down is going to be the fruit that comes up. He says, the root goes down and then the fruit springs up. And what does the fruit do? It causes deep trouble and it hurts many in their spiritual lives. And this is the devil's plan. This is his tactic. This is his device. This is what he's after. He knows that when a root of bitterness takes hold, then conflict is unavoidable. We're talking about killing conflict in this series. And he knows that if that root of bitterness goes down, that the fruit of the bitterness is going to be conflict. Conflict. Uh, and, and not only conflict, but communication breakdown. Walls go up. Alienation sets in. And, and now, that marriage that was so good, or that job that was so good, or that church that was so effective, now, 
you got conflict. Because until that root is pulled up by the roots, a root of bitterness is a guarantee of conflict. And we want to kill conflict, not nurture it. We want to kill it. We want to remove it. We don't want to walk in conflict. We want to walk in unity. But you see, the devil's not finished yet. Because once you nurse it and rehearse it and the root goes down, our enemy, who has a few thousand years of experience attacking human beings, knows what comes next. He knows if you nurse it and if you rehearse it, you're going to disperse it. You're going to disperse it. Yeah. Notice the verse in Hebrews. It said, it, the offense, springs up and causes trouble. How does it cause trouble? Hurting many in their spiritual lives. Because the offense is being dispersed. That's how other people are hurt. By their taking up your offense to become offended with you. After all, isn't that what friends do? Isn't that what friends do? You get offended, oh, you better know I'm going to carry that offense with you. I'm a friend. I love you. I'm a buddy. We're in this together. And so you're offended, I'm offended. I'll take up that offense any day. Because I'm your friend. And that's what friends do. Is it really? Is that what friends do? If somebody has a root of bitterness and it is destroying their life, does a friend take up the offense and get offended with them and walk in that offense with them and, and validate it and affirm it? Is that what a friend does? Really, if you love them, is that what you do? If I had a skunk here, Pepe Le Pew, right here, if I had a skunk and he has not been de-perfumed and the tail is up and he's ready to spray and I say, would you hold my skunk for me? How many of you would hold the skunk? Would you? I mean, you're my friend. Hey, friend, come here. Since you're my friend, will you hold my skunk? Will you hold my skunk? First thing you're going to say is, dude, I love you, but no, love stops here. Love stops here. But here's the deal, folks. An offense is like a skunk. It stinks things up everywhere it goes. And, and if I give you the skunk, he's going to spray you with the same revolting odor that he sprayed me with. And now we both stink. And we're in the church of God. Kumbaya, hallelujah, glory to God. I think you get where I'm going with this. See, offended people don't like being offended alone. No. They throw pity parties inviting anybody who will listen to attend. They begin dispersing the offense to anybody who will listen. Have you ever noticed when you get around somebody that's offended and they haven't dealt with it and it's going down into a root that if you sit down with them and talk about five minutes, it's coming out. Have I told you what they did? Have I told you what they said? Have I told you how terrible they are? Have I illuminated you on how, what, what villains they are? Now, you don't really know them like I do. And let me tell you what they did to me. And before you know it, they're saying, please hold my skunk. And you have a skunk party. And everybody who leaves the party leaves skunked. That's right. Everybody who leaves the party leaves skunk. And what do they do? They come into church with it. And before long, we begin to smell something. 
because their expression has changed. Their countenance has changed. They're not worshiping God like they used to. They're not excited about Jesus anymore. They're solemn. Well, what's the matter? Well, I, I need to tell you what. Let me, let me tell you. I've got a prayer request for you. I've, I'm really grieved about something. Let me, let me tell you. And, and you go off with them, and they hand you the skunk. And before long, uh, half the congregation is skunked. It reminds you of Lazarus. Uh, Mary, what she said about Lazarus in the tomb, she said, Lord, don't move that stone because it stinketh. And some churches stinketh because they have been skunked. It's not about Jesus. It's about the skunk. It's true. And this is Satan's end game. We're not ignorant of his devices. This is his end game. His end game with an unresolved offense is this. He knows that if he can get an offense moving through a family, through a church, through a business, he knows if he can get that offense moving, one person after another being skunked with the offense. It's not being dealt with. There's no forgiveness. It's not being biblically dealt with. And he knows if he can get it moving through that business or church or family, he can divide it, and he might even destroy it. Now, I want to give you a word to the wise here. This is a little addendum to this message. I'm almost finished. Anytime somebody comes to you to unload an offense onto you, you should ask yourself two questions. They're a good friend, your best friend. They're coming to unload an offense onto you. Ask yourself two questions. First one, am I part of the problem? Am I intimately involved, integrally involved in this problem? All right. Second, am I a part of the solution? Am I a part of the problem? No. Am I a part of the solution? Not really. They're just wanting to dump on me. If you're not part of the problem, then encourage the person talking to you to go to somebody who is part of the problem. And if you're not in a position to bring a solution, encourage them to go find somebody who is in a position to bring a solution. And if you are in a position to bring a solution, remember one crucial thing. Hear me, please. Here's wisdom. Always get both sides. Listen to what the Bible says. Spouting off before listening to both sides is both shameful and foolish. Proverbs 18, 17. Any story sounds true until someone tells the other side and sets the record straight. So if you're part of the solution, if you are called to get involved, first thing you do is after listening to the person who is skunked, rather than you getting skunked, you say, I'll listen, but I ain't holding your skunk. I'm going to go talk now to the other party. And I guarantee you the story will not be the same from the other party. There's two sides to every conflict, and only a fool listens to one. Now, having said all that, say, well, Pastor Jeff, how do I get out of the scandalon trap because it has sprung. Bang! It, it came down on my head. And, and I've, been, I've been living this offense for too long. How do I get out? Listen, I have mouse traps at home. I have rat traps at home. Those rat traps, you got to have some muscle to pull that thing back. I mean, not really, but I'm, 
Again, I'm making an example. It's not a mousetrap. You got to go, pull hard. And you know what? If something is trapped in a rat trap, that rat is not getting out by himself ever. The only way he gets out is something bigger. If a stronger hand than him lets him out and pulls back that arm. And let me tell you how God lowers his hand and pulls back the arm and sets us free from the trap of Scandalon. Are you ready? I forgive them. I, now watch, I forgive them. But Pastor Jeff, they don't deserve it. I do it if they deserve it, but they know, of course they don't deserve it. They offended you. They were wrong. No, they don't deserve it. But neither do you deserve God's forgiveness. Right? No, you don't. So watch. As soon as I say, I forgive them, here comes the hand and begins to pull that arm back. Because until he pulls it back, I can't go where I want to go, do what I want to do. I am paralyzed in life until he pulls it back. And when he pulls it back, I'm out. And the only way he pulls it back, I'm going to quote the verse. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Forgiveness sets you free. Forgiveness sets you free. You say, but if I go free, they go free. Don't worry about them. It's not really about them. It's about you being free. Nobody is worth my walk with God. Nobody. Nobody. Life's too short. Life's too short to walk around with an offense and let it rule your life. So I want you to stand with me, would you? Everybody say killing conflict. If we're going to kill conflict, we have to avoid Satan's favorite trick. I had a man come up to me after the first service last week where I ended my message on this topic of forgiveness. And if he's here, um, I've thought about you this week. But he said to me, and you could tell he was very moved and he was very emotional. Right here he stood. He said, Pastor Jeff, how can I forgive a man who beat my mother almost to death And now she's gone and he's in prison. How can I forgive such a man? I said, first of all, my heart goes out to you. I can't imagine. But I said, here's how you do it. You do it by God's grace and help, realizing Jesus looked out from the cross that he hung on and died on for you and me. He bled and died on Calvary's cross so that we could be forgiven. And what did he say from the cross? Father, forgive them. What had they done to him? They beat him beyond recognition. We we couldn't tell who he was up there. Isaiah prophesied. You won't even be able to tell who he is up there. He, he, He took the beating, his back was a road map of gashes and cuts. Uh, he, what did they do to him? And yet our Lord looked out from that cross where he bled and died for you and me. Father, forgive them. Now, if he could do that, and if he forgave you and me our billions of dollars in sin debt, can we forgive others on earth? Yes. 
You do it by just saying it. And he said, you know, I've been walking with this for a long time. He beat my mother almost to death. I saw her. And he said, but I've let it control me. I've walked with it too long. I said, then forgive. You're not setting him free. You're setting you free. You're setting you free. Yeah. You're setting you free. So I'll tell you, I'm a selfish forgiver. A lot of the times I do it for me, not for them. I want to be free. Because you can't make me hate you. You cannot make me hate you. You, you can't do enough or I can't say the words, I forgive you. Now, I'm not challenging anybody to try, <laughs> but I'm just telling you. And see, so who are you helping hanging on to it? Not you. Not you. Are you hurting them? No, they're, they're probably not even thinking about you. You're not hurting them. So I want us to come to the Lord, can we? Lift your hands to Jesus and say with me, Lord, give me grace to avoid Satan's favorite trick. If I'm rehearsing anything, nursing anything, or dispersing anything, forgive me and grace me now to forgive. Now I'm going to say, I'm going to lead in one sentence and I'm going to let you fill in the blank. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of forgiveness for others. And I want us to remember Paul, do it so we're not we don't fall prey to the devil and get cheated by him. I don't want to let the devil cheat me. So right now we're going to say, Lord, I forgive, and I want you to fill in the blank. Say it with me, Lord Jesus. This person hurt me, offended me, wounded me, but I offended you, and you forgave me. So I forgive. You fill in the blank. If you can say, Jeff, I needed to do that. I want you to give the Lord a wave offering. Just come to him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. How many of you needed this today? Needed this today. Amen. Amen.